Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning with adoration and praise for you. Indeed, you are the God of Abraham, and you are our God. Same God, and, and, uh, and we are thankful that through him, and through his seed, through Christ, we are indeed your seed as well. Bless us now as we continue to finish up this camp and think through a few more things. Uh, that we might go forth from this place refreshed, renewed, though physically tired, and yet spiritually encouraged to go forth and live, to represent Christ wherever you put us, in our families, in our places of work or school. Help us to be diligent, faithful, kind, full of grace, and may we show the world the joy of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to continue where I left off uh, yesterday or whenever it was I spoke. I've forgotten everything's blurred together at this point. Um, uh, I left, uh, I was going to talk about two principles of the uh, uh, reform principles regarding the world. And the first one that we dealt with was the fact that the physical world was created good. And I laid the foundation in this whole talk about asking the question, who's to say? Which world is the real world? Whose word rules the world? Is it God's word or is it our word? Is it man's word? And that's, that is the conflict that we've had since the garden. It's the conflict that continues. And it's really the conflict that takes place in each of us, too. It's not just out there. It's not just them that is wanting to be God, apart from the true God. I find myself wanting to be God. I want my word to direct me. I, I want to do it my way. And then, uh, of course, what we're called to in Christ is self-denial, a recognition that I need to die to me, that I'm not uh, capable of being in charge of me effectively, that I will run this uh, car into the ditch every time if I'm left to myself. And so I need the word of God. My word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. We can go on and on about what the scriptures say about the scriptures and why they're very critical. I think of it like this. If, if, if God creates the world and then he gives us, uh, that's the general revelation, and then of course special revelation is his word, is the instruction manual. It tells us how to interpret this world, how to think about this world, how to live in this world. Imagine you had some big complicated piece of machinery and you either didn't get the instruction book or you just set it aside and said, I'll figure this out all by myself. Uh, that would be pretty dangerous. you probably never figure out how to use it properly. I remember some years ago uh, in uh, Reader's Digest, was a, I don't know if Reader's Digest is still around, but they, there was an article on archaeology and some archaeologists had found uh, was digging up this society. The article was emphasizing that basically the things that were going to last from our culture were porcelain um, and ceramics and things like that. So he had a toilet seat uh, around his neck with a lid up. And I said, they used to use this in their worship. <laughs> so uh, when you, you're trying to interpret a society without the instruction book, you can, you know, you're, you're left to your imagination and you get it wrong most often. So we need the Word of God to shed the light on the world that He made. God's Word tells us about us. God's Word tells us about Him. God's Word tells us about the world that we live in. And, he, and the Word tells us about sin, what sin did to the world that we live in. 
It tells us about the gospel and what the gospel does to the world that we live in and what the gospel does to us. And so the physical world, though, was created good, which meant it's given to us to enjoy. When we say the answer to the first sort of catechism, put his man's teeth in to glorify God and enjoy him forever, where does that enjoyment take place? In the world that he made, in, in the beauty of the world, in music, in art, in food, in all the other joys and pleasures and delights that God has filled this world with, that's where we encounter him. Not in a pantheistic way, but these are the manifestations, these are his gifts that he created us to live in and to uh, use these things in a way to, again, glorify him and point to him. The second reform principle I want to talk about this morning is that all areas of life are sacred. One of the speakers, I don't remember which, uh, has already addressed, uh, mentioned this, but I want to build on it a little bit more. Christ is Lord over how much? All of it. And so we don't hold to some uh, pietism where we are going to cloister ourselves and look inward uh, or to a, sec- a sacred secular du- uh, dualism. True spirituality is not limited to the mind or the feelings, but it includes the body and everything physical. <coughs> All areas of life are sacred and to be subdued to God's glory. Sacred, had, uh, just to define the terms, uh, connected, the idea is that it's connected with God or the gods or dedicated to a religious purpose and so it deserves some special veneration. Secular denotes attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. We reject that dichotomy. There is not a more sacred area of life as though coming to church or praying is more sacred than what you do with your family or your work. They're all to the glory of God. Whether we eat or drink, it's all to the glory of God. Often, if I ask someone, how are you doing spiritually, maybe in my office or uh, over a cup of coffee, inevitably they answer in terms of prayer and Bible reading. Well, I'm praying, or I'm not praying, or I'm reading my Bible, or, I'm not, or I need to read my Bible more, and, and as though those were the only barometers of spirituality. And sometimes we, have to, we need to expand that. How else might we answer that question? Uh, Jesus is Lord over every area of life. Of him, through him, and into him are all things. And the Greek word there means all. Every bit of it. Every last atom. It's his. So again, not a square inch of the world, not a split second of time. It's not dependent upon, controlled by, or subservient to God. Hence, man is commanded to do everything he does, again, to the glory of God. Our bodies are required to be, what, living sacrifices to God. Indeed, everything we do, in word or deed, comes under this this command. Even the use of our reason, our minds, must be according to the direction of God's glory, taking every thought captive. For his sovereign rule is inclusive of the areas of wisdom and knowledge. So again, we can't... Uh, what man does is spend his time trying to get away from God and be his own God, create his own world, and we are doing the opposite as followers of Christ. So, 
We see quite literally that in all things God is to be glorified. And remember, to glorify something is to magnify it, to shine a light on it. To say, look at this. See? And so we are called to do that. And so what we do points to God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't want to be Pharisees out clanging symbols and say, look at me. That would, that would be an arrogant, look at me kind of thing. But we are to do what we do in a way that it's seen so that the Father is glorified. Why is your family different? Why is your marriage different? Why are your children different? Why do you work different? And each time we point to Christ. And so we must be holy in all manner of living. Uh, Theologian Cornelius Van Til uh, perceptively observed, there is not a place in all the universe where a man can go and say, this is my private realm. No button he can press and say, here, I step outside God's jurisdiction. There is not a square inch in God's creation over which Christ is not sovereign that he cannot say, this is mine. You can't go to your bedroom, lock the door, turn off the music. He's still there. That's not your bedroom. That's his bedroom. And he lets you live in there. Getting this perception of who you are in Christ and living in that world changes everything. Everything we do is offered up in worship and service to God because everything we do is sacred, whether we eat or drink. How we dress, what we eat, what words we use, how we work, how we play, all of it is because the world is his and he made us to glorify him in this world. Uh, man's key then, again. If we're not doing it for him and his glory, then we are doing it for someone else and for their glory, including myself. The two worlds have two different gods who are being glorified, being amplified, magnified. And so it's the intent of Jesus Christ, the Savior, to make everything new in the world. The gospel is not just about taking souls to heaven. Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might... Deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom we glory forever and ever. He's delivering us from this world, this other world, this false world, this world that's ruled by another God. We have been delivered from that. That's the world of death. It's, intent, it's the intent of Jesus Christ, the Savior, to make everything new in the world. We have been taken out of the present evil age and put into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 3 through 17, He has delivered us, rescued us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In him all things consist. I don't know how you get a more comprehensive statement than that. And let me put it in these stark terms. That is either true or false, and if it's true, that means he is everything. 
to you and to me. He is the summit. He is the summit. He is the be all. All things are from him, through him, and to him. Or it's not true, in which case let's go home. This is a waste of time. We are amongst all men to be most pitied. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, but tomorrow we die. Those are the two alternatives. This either means everything or it means nothing. We can't have one foot in and one foot out. Jesus said you can't have two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. So, uh, again, everything is reconciled in him. Christ came to redeem the world, the fallen world, this world gone awry, this false world. He's come to buy it back and to restore what it is intended to be. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is that you? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's you. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Buying back the world. So Jesus came to be Lord over how much? Uh, all of it. Philippians 2, 9-10. Therefore God also highly exalted him and, and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is the boss. He gets to say, He is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. All men, every area of life, body and soul, day and night. And Jesus came and spoke to them, Matthew 28, and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them that I get to say, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus is not a partial Savior. He taught his disciples to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. Romans 11.36 He did not just make him to be the head of the church. He made him to be the head over all things for the sake of the church. As far as the curse is found, work, entertainment, marriages, child-rearing, politics, all of it. Then, uh, and then Jesus came to redeem all, all that is... Uh, uh, excuse me. Jesus came into a world, a world that had been formed to the glory of God, but then it became deformed by sin. And what does the gospel do? It reforms it. reshapes it. Deformed. So, formed, deformed, reformed. That's what we're engaged in. As Christians, we already live in the new world, and that should be uh, reflected in everything we do, how we speak, how we act, our marriages and children, and our work and our worship. Peter says, be holy in how much of your conduct? All of it. 
We have a worldview. We live life differently. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we're again bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, every subject, every field of study. I'll read a longer quote here, one that I've liked for a long time again by Dr. Ben Hill. And he's talking uh, about Christian education here, but I have a broad application. This then is the point. The war between, between Christ and Satan is a global war. It's carried on first in the hearts of men for the hearts of men through preaching and teaching in the church and in the home through the witness for an individual man everywhere. The allegiance of men is turned away from Satan to Christ. But the warfare is also carried on where you might least expect it. It's carried on in the field of reading and writing and arithmetic, in the field of nature study and history. At every point, Satan seeks boys and girls, as well as men and women, to take the attitude that he got Eve and Adam to take at the beginning of history. Everywhere and at every point, Satan's theme song is, let's be broad-minded at the beginning of our research. Your hypothesis about God's creating and directing the course of history is as good as mine, and mine is as good as yours. Now let's be open-minded and find out from the facts whose hypothesis fits reality. And now the reason why we are willing as Christian believers in general, and as Christian parents in particular, to sacrifice so largely for the sake of having Christian schools is that we want our children with us to see the vision of the all-conquering Christ as he wrests the culture of mankind away from Satan and brings it into his consummation when the new heavens and the new earth on which righteousness shall dwell at last appears. There is not a square inch of ground in heaven or earth or under the earth in which there is peace between Christ and Satan. And and what is all important for us to see as we think of the Christian school is that according to Christ, every man, woman, and child is every day and everywhere involved in the struggle. Let me read that sentence again. Um, Every man, woman, and child is every day and everywhere involved in the struggle. No one can stand back refusing to become involved. He is involved from the day of his birth and even before his birth. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. If you say that you are not involved, you are in fact involved on Satan's side. If you say you are involved with the struggle between Christ and Satan in the area of the family and the church, but not in the school, you are deceiving yourself. In that case, you're not really fully involved in the family and in the church. You cannot expect to train intelligent, well-informed soldiers of the cross of Christ unless Christ is held up before them as the Lord of culture as well as the Lord of religion. It is of the nature of the conflict between Christ and Satan to be all comprehensive. Uh, another author I like, Dr. Clarence Carson, primarily an economist. But I like this story he told. He said, some years back I received a call from a young man who asked me to speak to a group, a group of students. 
What he wanted me to do was to restrict myself to economic matters if I would, he said. Specifically, he wanted me to leave God out of it, though he must have put it more circumspectly than that. It seems that his group was composed of what he called the Thomists and the Randians, and the religious issue would surely sunder them. I sent my condolences, but declined the invitation. One suspects that the young man supposes that God is like a domestic pet, a cat, say, which one trots out to show cat fanciers, but when guests arrive who are allergic to cats, is put away out of sight until they leave. It is not that way at all. Uh, God is not an addendum to economics. He is not the scroll work around the edges. Without God, the belief in economics is idolatry. God is my premise and my conclusion. The first words out of Genesis put the matter clearly. In the beginning, God. And as the book of Revelation moves to its conclusion, these are the words, there are these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. There is no God to be trotted out for God-fanciers. He is God, the ground of all being. How could I speak and leave God out? Amen. So the physical world is good. That's our first principle. Matter is not evil. And, truly, and true spirituality is a matter of following the Holy Spirit, not just our inward feelings. Second, all areas of life are sacred. Christ is Lord over all. Now, I want to make a few applications. And before that, I do that, I want to read from a book that uh, Pastor Neil actually introduced me to a series of three volumes of Every Moment Holy. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Really like it uh, uh, by Douglas McKelvey. I want to read one of his liturgies. I have not found a one. They have a new volume out, by the way, volume three. Uh, I haven't found a one of these that I didn't love. Again, think of the, the title, Every Moment Holy. So basically his thesis is, whatever area of life. I remember the first one I read, I believe it was at Pastor Neal's house, was on the changing of diapers. And I thought, oh, this is going to be funny. And I was in tears before it was, like, it was so good. Uh, and uh, showing how that labor of a mother or father changing a diaper was a picture of the grace of God and what he does for us. This one is called Praise to the King of Creation. Our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. For seldom have we considered how specific is the exercising of your authority, extending as it does into the myriad particulars of creation. There is no quarter over which you are not king. And as creation hurdles toward its liberation and redemption, the full implications of your deep lordship are yet to be revealed in countless facets unconsidered. Christ, you are the snow king. You are the maker of all weathers. You are the king of sunlight and storms, the king of gray skies and rain. You are the rain king, the sun king, the hurricane king. You are the king of autumn and the king of spring. And our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. The old and impotent gods our ancestors once believed in were at their best but imperfect pictures of you 
whose strength and goodness and creative, creative majesty and wonderful mystery and love exceed those old rumors as sunlight exceeds the tiny dimness of stars reflected in a dark and wavering pool. The fairy tales crafted by our old cultures hinted at you, though they knew it not, yet their perfect princes and blessed ends were yearnings for all that has found fulfillment in you. You are the Lord of Harvest, the Grain King, the Wine King, the God of Plenty, the God of Health and Home. You are the Hill King, the Wildflower King, the King of Great Bears, King of Canyons. You are the Monarch of Meadows, the Lord of Lava Fields, the Ruler of Desert Waste, the Polar King, the Rainbow King, the King of the Southern Cross, the King of the Northern Lights. You are the king of the rabbits, the lord of all of tall trees. You are the god of youth, the god of age. You are the acorn king, the river god, the swamp king, the king of glades, king of dells, ruler of all hummingbirds. You are the horse god, the crag king, the lord of bees, king of walruses, commander of rhinos, lord of the lightning bugs, cave lord, mountain king, ruler of the grassy plains, God of the valleys, you are the captain of the clouds, the wolf king, the king of the cockatoos, and our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. For your claim over creation is vast. You are the Lord of Antarctica, the king of California, the king of the Scottish Hills, and the king of the Nile. You are the weaver of the unseen fabrics of the world. You are the Lord of the atoms, the Lord of, of the ruler of electrons, the Lord of gravity, and the King of quarks. Your dominion unfolds the earth and rises beyond it to further extremes of the stars. You are the Lord of the vast empty spaces. You are the King of the constellations, the black hole king, the Lord of novas exploding, the Lord of speeding light, the high king of galaxies, king of Orion, king of the moon. And still, even still, our thoughts of you have been too small, too few. You are the God of justice, the God of wisdom, the God of mercy, the God of redemption. You are the Lord of love. All of this is true, but our thoughts of you are still too few. For our minds are too small to conceive of them all, let alone contain them. You were before all things, you created all things, and in you all things are held together. There is no corner of creation you will fail to redeem. You are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, O Jesus Christ, and our King of everything. Amen. <laughs> Application. All vocations are equally dignified, contrary to this idea of priestly exaltation. I'm called to full-time ministry. You are all called to full-time ministry. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, that's what you're called to. No matter what you're calling or vocation, if it's from God, it is dignified. To be a Christian farmer is as holy an occupation as to be a Christian missionary. I mentioned to some of you, my mother was an ordinary and an extraordinary woman because she answered her call to be a Christian wife, mother, and grandmother. And what? And so I ask you, what is the value of a husband, wife, father, mother who loves God and who loves one another faithfully every day? What is that worth? 
How does that change the world? The body has many different functions and services. They're all important. And we function together to serve the Lord Jesus, who is the head. This is not about you. not even about you finding fulfillment. Somebody asked me. I don't remember who it was. I said, my father was a cheap metal worker. Uh, my grandfather was. And I asked him one time, well, did you find that fulfilling? He said, yeah. I put shoes on the of my children and food on the table. It was very fulfilling. So everyone is called the full-time Christian service in the world. Genesis 1, 27-28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The dominion mandate is what God called us to do for his glory. Every time we subdue the earth, every time we bring it into a newer order, every time we magnify it and show it off, it's like, oh, did you know you could do this with these minerals or this wood or these plastics? Look at all the things you can do with what God made. So uh, we take what he gave us, and then we too, in, as his images, start to do what he did. We shape it, we mold it, we form it. You know, I, my, my kids have heard their grandkids all the time. Every time I see one, you see these pictures come up of this, these animals. I've never seen, you know, you've never seen them before. Like 84 colors and patterns with paisleys and, you know, uh, you know evolution is so creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just had this picture of God uh, and, and however he's taken the fact to capture some of this idea of almost a playfulness of, let's make one of these. Let's make a platypus. That'll, that'll stop them. Uh, uh, let's take a part from this one and part from this and put them together. And, uh, and on and on and on, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of different creatures and things and plants and the world that we live in, the creativity and the beauty, and we're called to be imitators of God. Second, so every calling is sacred. Second, in the world that in this in the world we are at liberty within the scriptures. Remember my illustration of God tells us what rooms we can be in, and He tells us not to go outside of that because it's dangerous. But inside that room, you can do what you want to do. Delight in it. Dance. Sing. Explore. It's full of wonder. So whatever God has not forbidden is permitted. So we're not ascetics. God sets up our limitations and parameters, and then we're free to operate in those boundaries. Uh, the wisdom of God's word directs us in our liberties. The wisdom of God's word directs us in our liberties. It does, it does place restraints on us, but it grants us great liberties. And again, I mentioned the idea of the training being the most free when it's on the tracks. Um, Romans 14 talks about this liberty. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, and he who is weak eats only vegetables. No comment right now. <laughs> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for a man who eats with offense. We then, who are strong, ought to bear the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so this a discussion about Christian liberty and saying God's made all things for us for our use, for the delight in them. But, they, but there's an understanding also that sometimes folks, for whatever reason, have scruples about that. It bothers their conscience. And we should not rule over that. We should be gracious and kind. Uh, but actually there's an admonition here that the weaker brother doesn't get to impose his views upon someone else. You know, that, that grace has to extend both directions. So again, whatever scripture has uh, not forbidden is permitted. And then third, nobody but God may bind the Christian's conscience. And so we end up in fundamentalist, uh, all kind of fundamentalist cultural taboos, uh, which can become a sort of political tyranny. We don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those that do. Uh, we get a, our extra list of things. Uh, I remember hearing an old Baptist preacher one time say, says a deacon must not be addicted to much wine. He said, my deacons aren't going to be addicted to any wine. Uh, it was a, I'm going to see God's standard raised one. Um, well, that's uh, that's not permitted. That's, that's falling in another ditch, right? Uh, we stand uh, against mandated commandments. First Timothy 4, 1-5, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And I'm just making a comment here in our circles in the reformed world. I see this sometimes, that this new liberty, you know, the same maybe you haven't had for a while, suddenly becomes available and you overindulge and you want to make sure you're blowing smoke in people's face so that they can see that you have liberty. Um, don't do that. That's a lack of wisdom. That's childishness. That's immaturity. You have liberty, but not liberty to abuse it and to uh, use it as some form of virtue signaling to others. Look how free I am. Uh, so we can uh, fail by indulging in, in sinful worldliness, and we can also fail by refusing to enjoy what God has freely given. Those are the two ditches. Wisdom knows the difference, and wisdom comes from the Word of God. This is the difference between being in the world, but not of the world. Deuteronomy 14, 25-26 Thou shalt bestow thy money This is our King, I like the King James Version of this Thou shalt, this is about a, going for a two-week feast And thou shalt bestow that money, this tithe that has been saved up For whatsoever thy soul lusteth after Starting that translation Whatever you desire. For oxen, for sheep, for wine, for whiskey, strong drink, but for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. 
doesn't say do this 12 months out of the year. But he says, hey, we're going to take a break. You worked hard. You brought in the harvest. You saved your money. Now I command you to go have a good time. <laughs> it's gonna, you're going to be exhausted when this is over. You're going to be glad to get back to work. But right now, you're going to plan for this. You're going to, you and your family, a bunch of other families, you're going to go have a retreat. And you're going to live it up. And you're not going to worry about the money you're spending. You're going to get whatever you want, whatever you like, and enjoy it. You can not only have ice cream, you can have two scoops. I'm going to indulge you, but not forever. A little bit. God loves us. He fills the world with good things. So the use of a thing is not the same as the abuse of a thing. Westminster 20, uh, chapter, chapter 20, paragraph 2. God alone is the Lord of conscience and hath left it free from the doctrine and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word. Or beside it, if matters, of, if matters of faith or worship, so that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. One more thing here. Liberty is a theological concept and this is how we resist religious and political tyranny. So this is the reformed understanding of life in this world. Only God determines good for evil. And when men try to do this, when men try to become God, they begin to call evil good and good evil. Woe to those, Isaiah says, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. In other words, woe to those who try to be their own God and live under their own word and define their own world. We are made to live in God's world for his glory. I'll close with one last quote from Cornelius Van Phil. All of us must stand together as one man. In this day when boundaries between the believer and the unbeliever are so generally wiped away, we should seek to mark those boundaries anew and mark them well. We should seek to mark those boundaries not with chalk that, may, that disappears with the first rain, when the first rainstorm comes, but we should try to mark these boundaries with indelible ink on the hearts of those who believe. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you called us to deny ourselves and to bow before you and declare your lordship over us, over our families, over our futures, over our days, over our hours, our minutes, our seconds, over our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. You are the Lord. You get to set. Help us to... to make that a foundation of who we are to settle once and for all that Jesus is Lord and that we are not ashamed of that in the least. Go with us now as we go to our homes and our places of work and service our place in your kingdom. Use us to advance your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.